1: Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein.
2: It's a lovely, if hot, summer evening here in New York City, and we want to welcome everybody to the program, Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Today's broadcast is a very, very unique one, and it is one that, again, turns our attention to social issues and allows us to illustrate and demonstrate the ways in which archaeology can be translated and transmitted into the everyday realities of, of people and... And the lives they lead and the problems they have and how archaeology, because of its unique character and its unique mission in a sense, can help and be very beneficial to, uh, to the human condition generally and especially in situations of privation and in some cases, as we're going to talk about, uh, difficulties and, and disease and, and issues and conditions that um, can only draw inspiration from archaeology as a means of getting involved with the greater world. Today's program is about archaeologists for autism. And as many Eddie, many of you may know, uh, autism has emerged in the past 10 to 20 years as a far more widespread phenomenon than was normally considered to be Uh, I think in large measure this has something to do a lot to do with our ability to diagnose and our ability to read the situation with much greater scientific precision than we have in the past and archaeologists uh, thanks to the efforts of my, my guest on this program are starting to turn to that issue and starting to see how they contribute, to, how they can contribute to enhancing awareness of this situation, of this condition, and where the linkages between archaeologists and autism are. My guest is uh, Tom Penders. <coughs> Excuse me, Tom Penders has a BS and master's degree in anthropology from Florida State University, and he has been a practicing archaeologist since 1984. He has worked throughout Florida and a variety of, of other states. Uh, he is the cultural resources manager for the 45th Space Wing uh, United States Air Force at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. He also has a small cultural resources management firm, and he runs uh, volunteer projects, Uh, as part of the Indian River Anthropological Society, a local chapter of the Florida Anthropological Society. He has developed a a partnership with the Brevard County Environmentally Endangered Lands Program, and he conducts archaeological research projects on their lands and assists them with the management of cultural resources. His research interests are in aerospace archaeology, the Indian River cultural area, faunal artifact analysis, and being in Florida, uh, wet site archaeology. I'm glad to introduce my guest, Tom Penders. Tom, thanks for being on the program.
3: Well, thank you for having me, Joe. So
2: let's get started. What is Archaeologists for Autism? And give us a little background as to how you developed the program and uh, where it's going and what it does.
3: Okay, well, Archaeologists for Autism, um, it's a single-day event for children on the autism spectrum or autism spectrum disorder to come out and have a day of fun in low-stress environment. The children, along with their um, siblings and their parents, get to spend a day experiencing archaeology, paleontology, and history. And we just started this in January, and we're going to have our first event ever on November 22nd from 9 to 3 p.m. at the Sam's site, house site on Pine Island and Merritt Island, our County, Florida. And one of the reasons why I picked November is because it's Native American Heritage Month. And the Archaeologist for Autism has three main goals, happy children and happy families. Yeah, This is a day where the kids can go out. It's free. It doesn't cost a thing for the families. In fact, we're going to feed them. We're going to have all these activities for them. And they just go out and have fun. And the reason why I'm also doing this for free is because it's hard to find autism, um, things for autistic children to do. And some of the things out there cost money. And this county right now, Brevard County, is in a real economic depression because of one from the housing market crashing, but also the end of the space shuttle program. So there's been a lot of layoffs. And, you know, the autistic kids also, they sort of get pushed off to the side uh, at, at times, so I will try to bring archaeology, paleontology, and history to special needs children in a stress-free environment. And so, you know, it's inclusion. You know, let's bring everybody into the party here and let them experience archaeology just like everyone else does. And um, I got the idea, well, I got the idea last year. Um, my daughter plays Challenger League baseball. Um, she's blind, autistic, and epileptic and she plays Challenger League Baseball, and she does some other events. But one of the big things that made a real impression on us was when she did Surfers for Autism last year, which is what I patterned Archaeologists for Autism on. It's just a day where kids are the focus. You know, the autistic kids go go out and go surfing. It's all about them. They get fed. They get to spend the day at the beach. Well, I sort of borrowed their idea, one day when I was driving home from work, uh, I live in Titusville, and it's about a 45-minute drive from Cape Canaveral Airport Station. So I drive through Kennedy Space Center and Wildlife Refuge, and there's not a lot of development there. So I'm sitting there driving home one day, and I was thinking about what a great experience surface autism was. And I start thinking and thinking. I go, why not archaeologists for autism? Why not? So then I started thinking, well, this is a crazy idea. I wonder if it will work. So I got home and I started thinking about it and thinking about it and tried, drew up a proposal to try to make this work and what I would need to do. And then what I did was I went to the Brevard County Environmentally Endangered Lands Program that has an archaeological site, historic site, paleontological site, all rolled in one. And I said, hey, I have this idea. What do you think? And they, in turn, suggested I contact... I contacted the uh, Scott Center for Autism, brought them in, so we had a meeting, and everybody said they loved the proposal, and this was feasible, and we could do it. So that was in January, and we've been working on it ever since.
2: And it was January of this year? Yes. Okay, and now did you, you you had mentioned that you had a child who was on the spectrum. Um, Yeah. Did you run this idea by her?
3: Well, she's on the low end of the spectrum. So I see what you mean, yes. She's 15 years old, but she's mentally two to three years old. So a lot of times with her, she'll say, me, no, want it to anything. But then when you get her out there, she loves it. For example, like she loves Challenger League Baseball. She uh-huh. begs to go play baseball. She loves to swim. Um, once you get her in the water, you can't get her out. You have to bribe her with a soda to get her wow. get out of the um the water, because she'll stay in there all day. So with her, we go out and do things, and then, you know, a lot of it's hand over hand, and then we do the things with her, and then we gauge her reaction, and a lot of times she'll say, me no want, me no it," but then she'll start doing it and love it. Of course. Right.
2: But and so also, did you run the idea past other people?
3: Yes. What I did was I'm on various um, autism support groups on Facebook. So I went on there and I said, I've come up with this idea. What do you think? And every parent that I uh, responded said, this is a great idea. When is the first, what are you doing the event? So I've got a lot of support from parents uh, of children who are on the spectrum, and there seems to be a lot of support in general from people to make this happen and to do it what
2: about from the archaeological community itself had you drawn any interest and uh, is there any way I mean you had mentioned of course in your introductory statements that the inspiration came from when you saw the uh, enlightened responses and and obviously the happiness on the faces of the kids with respect to the surfing program what about archaeology itself is there, is there has there been any heightened awareness of autism and has there been any interest amongst the archaeology community in that, or do or do you think that it's right for that sort of thing?
3: I think it's right for it. Um, the Florida Public Archaeology Network. When I approached them, they jumped on board and they're partners with me. So I've got the Florida Public Archaeology Network on board. Uh, the Society for American Archaeology, their ed- public education folks, are interested. Uh, when I first started my Twitter page for archaeology, for Autism, the Mayan Research Program jumped on board. And there seems to be an interest in the archaeology com- community to do this and, and be supportive of this. And I think it's something that nobody thought about before. And, and when I you know, started this and brought this up, a lot of people have um, come forward and said they want to help. Uh, I've got graduate and undergraduate students who want to volunteer to help. Um, like I said, the Florida Public Archaeology Network, you know um, the Scots Center for autism is involved, so they 're coaching us along with this to make this work so I think there is an interest in the archaeology community to make this work and help and help this see a success
2: and obviously it 's just in its very, very early phases. one could see, however, one can visualize how uh, Archaeology would just sort of be a magnet for uh, people whose stimuli are, are different from from many other people, and archaeology's inherent appeal visually, and to some degree historically, and, and certainly in terms of the way that it brings people in contact with nature and the ground and landscapes. That would be something that that uh, even folks, uh, kids on on all sides of the spectrum um, would, would appreciate. It, it seems like a natural connection,
3: actually. I think it is. And one thing I found out is that autistic children, of many of them, like structure. So, you know, digging a square in a square, digging down in layers, you know, that's something that they can do, and, and they like that structure. And they work on it work on it and work on it, so I think, in, in that regard, that will be a success. So I th- I think that is one of the good things about doing this because, you know, in archaeology you're digging 10 centimeter levels or whatever, and these kids are going to be digging in sandboxes for artifacts. They're going to be digging in there for – uh we have already have established at the, at the venue that the county, the eel program had established there, they have these sandboxes with these uh, replica fossils in there of a mastodon so the kids can dig down uncover it and then they get you know then they get to learn what the bones are and we're gonna have other pits with fossil stuff that the kids can dig up and then we're also gonna do other hands-on stuff too like they're gonna throw nerf spears with addle addles and you know there we have a lot of activities planned there's a whole list of activities on our webpage, but um the idea is to have as many different things as possible for the kids to do
2: And you're publicizing it all over the state. Obviously, if you're getting cooperation from state agencies, from the preservation community in general in Florida, which is really a pretty good operation. So I'm guessing that you have uh, really a pretty nice public relations network that can bring this
3: out. Well, the public (laughs) network is basically me. Um, I've gotten the word out. And what the great thing about social media is, You know, I send stuff to the Florida Public Archaeology Network, you know, and they shotgun it out, you know, or if I, or if I send it to various different archaeology groups or put stuff on Twitter, it gets retweeted over the place. And then with Facebook and LinkedIn and the webpage, and also, you know, with contacting the different autism organizations, you know, they're spreading the word. So it's... It's slowly but surely making a bigger and bigger um, blast out there for people to, uh, to, to know about this, to bring it into their, uh, into their consciousness, I guess you would say.
2: And on that note, we're going to take a very brief break, and we will return right after these messages with our very special program on autism and archaeology and our guest, uh, Tom Penders. Stay tuned.
0: News, News. opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com.
4: Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune in to Better Worldians Radio, with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts, Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better World Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety.
1: Join Dr. Linda Iniguez every week for the Shrink Wrap Forum, this show discusses topics that you wouldn't normally hear in today's media. In the forum, virtually no topic is off limits. We invite you to join us and participate or dive into the stream where we value independent thought, talk to those people that are making a difference, and explore ideas considered outside the box. The Shrink Wrap Forum can be heard live every Monday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Streaming live
1: Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Can you do-
2: We are back with a very, very unique program today on archaeologists for autism, and uh, my special guest is Tom Penders, who at this point is uh, probably the primary protagonist of a sort of blending um, an archaeological awareness and exploring the ways in which archaeology and uh, uh, children and even young adults with autism can develop mutual interests. My own particular interest in this case is in this situation is that my my son, who is uh, on the very upper end of the spectrum and and has a condition called Asperger's who is a very very uh he's, he's a very very bright kid he's an honor student at college and uh, since I have my own firm, I have put him to work doing archaeology and of course. Order, as Tom indicated, order and structure are critical issues and the types of things that uh, kids on the spectrum, well, we call it the autistic spectrum because it goes from low functioning to very high functioning, it's uh, a commonality that... that uh, kids and even young adults with with autism are certainly very appreciative of because their minds work in that direction now in our case he doesn't seem to be really enthusiastic about uh archaeology per se probably because his dad runs an operation and it and, and you know you at the the point where he is he's an adolescent and hanging out with with other adolescents and, and uh, young adults and he doesn't want to be anywhere near it but he does very well at the job itself, and part of that reason is that when we do our analyses at archaeology, we have to have frameworks, we have to have very specific regimented routines that allow us to order our observations and to attain a certain degree of order and systematization Uh, because of the nature of our jobs and so i think tom you're onto something very major here because that is sort of a natural uh, uh natural framework for for kids on the spectrum to really sort of get their hands into it get dirty and do it in a very systematic way and i think you're onto something so um do you see that uh that kids naturally gravitate to it and that entire organizational and structural framework is something that keeps them intrigued and keeps them involved in it?
3: Uh, I think so. and I, I can tell you from my, my daughter's on the low end of the spectrum, and I know one thing with her, she likes her structure, she has her schedule, don't ever deviate from the schedule. You know, she compartmentalizes everything, so like Saturday is baseball day, or this right. day is swimming, and so if you deviate from that, of course she has meltdowns. So, and I've seen it with other children, too. You know, this time and this place is for this event, this time and this place is for this event. And I think that also transfer over to archaeology because, um, let's face it, if you're doing an excavation, you're digging in 10 centimeter levels, you're digging within a square, so you have this structure and form, and they can dig down, and they're looking at things and they're analyzing things, you know, in their own way, but still, it provides structure that that they that they look for you know the repetitiveness the structure you know etc
2: are you as you're putting this together i mean right now it's it's a certain day and when did you say it was in november correct
3: yes november 22nd from 9am to 3pm
2: now how will how will all this be put together i mean obviously you're in the planning stages and my guess is and and the, the, you know forgive me for thinking even more forward, that this is just the beginning of your efforts, and you're trying to essentially plan out a strategy or plan out a program that would extend beyond today and, and really make something that's a part of a larger effort. Why don't you talk about that a
3: little bit? Okay. Well, like I mentioned before, this is our very first event. We're going to see if this works. everybody that I talked to agrees that this is going to work. So. What we're going to do is we're going to have the events set up. We have all the activities, a schedule of activities, multiple activities going on at the same time. So the kids can pick and choose. And, you know, with autism kids, they get sensory overload. We're going to have a place, area, an area for them that they can just go and calm down and chill out and relax. Uh, we want to have, like, a ball pit and a bounce house because some of them may just get tired of what they're doing and just need a break and want to go bounce around. So And have face painting. So what we're doing is... We uh, were setting this up at the Sam's House of Pine Island, which is part of the Pine Island Conservation Area in Merritt Island, Florida. And the reason why I picked that is, well, I ran an archaeological project there for and paleontological project there for eight years. And as a result of the work that we did as part of the Indian River Anthropological Society, they uh, developed a museum on site, indoor and outdoor museum, With a national indoor museum with exhibits, and then they have this walk through history that starts with Pleistocene megafauna and comes all the way around to the 1900s. So we have some exhibits already in existence. We have some of the activities like the sand pits to dig up fossils, replica fossils, already in place, and we have our know we have a a burial mound on the site, two historic houses. Um, There's a multi-component occupation site, and there was also a place to see megafauna uh, boom bed site on the property. So we have a lot of the history, a lot of the archaeology and paleontology there, and plus the environmentally endangered lands program has already developed some activities for uh, for kids that are, you know, typical kids that are not on the spectrum. So I sort of tapped into that, and so we're having our first event here We're starting with 50 kids that are on the spectrum, their siblings and their parents, and then we're going to have a lesson to learn, and then next year we're going to have 100 kids with their siblings and their parents. And then from there, my my intention is for this to grow. Uh, We've partnered with the Florida Public Archaeology Network, so what I would love to do is eventually in a few years have this event you know, in all the regions of of Florida, not on the same day, so it it sort of floats around the regions, the Florida Public Archaeology Network regions like the Northeast, the Southeast, the Southwest, the North Central, et cetera, et cetera. And from there, you know, I'm willing to partner with any other state, any other archaeology agency or society anywhere across the United States to make this go, you know, bigger. You know, this is, I have a, a, I have a vision in place here for in a few years that, you know, we can do this all over all over the United States. And
2: you do also have obviously a longer range vision as well and 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 probably uh some kind of an inkling as to how this effort can be networked in many other parts of the country, I would assume.
3: Right, and that's my ultimate goal is, you know, somebody uh, from an archaeological society in New Mexico calls me up and says Hey, we want to do archaeologists for autism. You know, I'm already going to have a plan. You know, the whole thing written up. So this is how we do archaeologists for autism, and then I'll be here to assist them and running it, and uh, running the event. So but right now we're starting with our baby steps. We're focusing on this year. You know, I want to perfect this program. So you know, down the road it's just it's seamless. It's very easy to run. Um, you know no stress it's just a you know here's the book here's how you get started and I'm, I'm here to help you let's go do it
2: and so you're really able to coordinate this quite nicely my question to you also however as you were mentioning that you got historians and you got paleontologists involved with this um, right. before you tell us the specifics of that tell us a little bit about this site because it sounds like a fascinating archaeological site
3: Well, okay, well in 2003 the um, environmentally endangered lands program had purchased the property and quite frankly, I didn't want to do the project I had a different one in mind I figured, oh this is just going to be a boondoggle, there's not going to be that much here it's not really going to be that interesting and I got talked into running the project and it's also on state land so I had to get a Bureau of Archaeological Research permit from the state And but but that's going forward a little bit. What happened was we went out there and dug some shovel tests and I'm like, okay, there's a lot of material here. There's lithic material here, which is unusual for here in Brevard County because there's no stone resources. The closest um, material is chert over in the Tampa Bay area up in the Gainesville area and that's a three-hour drive either way. So as soon as the lithics popped up, I was like, wow. And then we dug more shovel tests. We found more lithics. We are finding pottery and everything. And at the time when we came out there and we first started, um, one of the people who were involved with the EEL program said, hey, have you seen our, our mound? And I said, what mound? And at the time you couldn't even see it because it was so covered with vegetation and you couldn't see it from the road. And they said, over here. So we walked over there and here's a mound that um, C.B. Moore excavated in the 18, late 1800s. And it's like right there. I mean, you would never know if off on the road, you would drove right past it. So that was um, actually the exact location of it was not recorded up at the state. So we documented the location of the mound. And then uh, we were doing historic research on the two houses. The one smaller house that has the museum was what we we call the Sam's cabin was originally down in Oak Alley at the south end of Brevard County. The folks, the Sam's family, their crops failed. So their brother who was living in Merritt Island said, hey, why don't you move up here? So they took the house apart and floated it up the Indian River uh, about 60 miles, brought it up on shore, and re-erected the house on the site. And that house was built in 1878 uh-huh. uh, on on the site where it is now uh, actually rebuilt. And it's the oldest standing residential structure in Brevard County. And then I, after seeing everything that was being found, we got uh, a permit from the state. We went out and started doing um, phase one shuttle testing, and then we started doing phase two excavation. And what we found was um, two prehistoric structures, um, possible structures. We found several hearths. Uh, we found a couple stone tools. Uh, we found this feature that I think was an elevated scaffold where they smoked meat. You I see mean, by the, the ash deposits and the post molds. And then I guess it was the second year we were working out there, the land manager called me up and said, hey, Tom, I think we have some mastodon remains. And I thought he was pulling my leg, and I said, well, if you found mastodon remains, bring them to my house. And he said, where do you live? And
2: on that note, let me just cut you off here because we have to take another break and I'm sure everybody's being as riveted to this discussion and we'll talk a little bit more about that site when we return after these words. We'll be right back.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
1: Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris. Real talk on business and parenthood hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story, coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses, while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
2: My very unique topic today on Indiana Jones myth reality and twenty first century archaeology is Archaeologists for Autism, which is a very new enterprise and activity and a an awareness operation that is the brainchild of of Tom Penders, who is an archaeologist from Florida, and Tom has been able to involve uh, children and young adults from the uh, autistic spectrum in archaeo- an archaeological project that um, is based in, uh, in Florida, and he is in the process of describing this very unique site, which is proving to be a wonderful laboratory for bringing very special individuals into the archaeological world, and he was talking about bringing together archaeologists, historians, and paleontologists to uh, to his venture, uh, archaeologists for autism and in, descri- in in describing how he has done that, he's explaining what the site is all about and we had already established that um, there are lithic assemblages on that site which is unique because there aren't any quarries in the vicinity and uh, Tom before the break we, we were talking about how you found and how you became aware of the fact that not only was there a mound there that CB. Moore had ex- excavated, but that there were megafauna over there, and why don't you tell us a little bit about the megafauna and uh, presumably a mastodon that that entered the picture here?
3: Okay, well, as mentioned before this, the land manager of the of the property, the Planland Conservation Area said they had found some fossils. What, what they were doing is at the north end of the property they had dredged canals in the 1960s for a housing development that never uh, was never done. And in the spoil piles in the dredge, they were removing them. The county was removing them to do wetlands re- restoration and all the fossil material started falling out. And I got a call and I, I said, bring the artifacts or the fossils to my house. And as soon as he arrived with a box I looked in there there was fossilized ivory. There was glyptodont, uh, giant land tortoise, uh, camel bone fragments, paleolamas. llamas. Uh, you name it, a good cross-section of Pleistocene megafauna. So we went out there, the, the River Anthropological Society and myself went out there and did a surface collection, and then several months later, they were doing wetlands uh, restoration again, and they were digging these pits to bury organic material and what popped up was on um, both sides of a mandible of a mastodon and we went back out there again and they staged the spoil piles for us and so we went through and we collected about five percent of an american mastodon along with camel and some and some other a lot other megafauna type type animals and that was a total shock i had not expected that in a million years and then what happened was a lot of people heard about it and they started coming forward and telling us where they found fossils at around the areas and what it turns out to be is that there's this bone bed that runs discontinuously from Volusia County through Brevard in the River County and the St. Lucie County where there's these low shallow areas where fossil material accumulates and that's what apparently we be hit out there. So I, in turn, you know, I'm no paleontologist, Um, uh, I may play one on TV, um, (laughs) but I sort of got books and started teaching myself and then contacted the Florida Museum of Natural History up in Gainesville, the uh, vertebrate paleontology folks, and we were able to find someone who agreed to identify the fossils, so as they identified them, I was teaching myself how to identify fossils, you know, in case in the future we found any more. And all the material was brought back after it was analyzed here to Brevard County, and it's owned by the um, the EEL program. And so we're going to have those fossils on display for Archaeologists for Autism. And, you know, through all the networking with this project for eight years, you know, I've interacted with the Brevard County Historic Commission. I've uh, known some avocational historians and archaeologists. Uh, I've been in touch with the Florida Museum of Natural History and bringing all these folks in to also participate in archaeological processes. So yeah, it's mainly archaeology but you know, all kids love fossils and dinosaurs so I thought let's throw some paleontology in there. You know, we'll have thing in boxes where they can dig up fossils as well as artifacts. Give give a little variety and a little um, you know, a little variety of things to do, a little different activities.
2: And so you also obviously developed contacts Within the history community and the paleontology community and obviously the state uh, seemed to be getting very involved in all of this and so you really sort of had a nice little central base for operations because uh, you were able to merge all these disciplines and so how is that working right now how is your plan how are your planning efforts going together coming together rather with uh, in terms of your interactions with these various disciplines and the individuals who are making this happen how are you how are you working this all out and how are you planning your program for that very special day
3: well actually it's been great uh, like, I contacted um, someone up at the Far, um, Museum of Natural History <coughs> in, the, in, in the paleontology p- department, and they said, what day do you want us, to do, want us there, what do you want us to do? Tell us what you want. And the Park County I mean, Historic Commission, some of the historians are saying, well, what do you want from us? We'll, we'll help. Just tell us what you want. And that's the way it's been with everybody. It's been, it's been, I mean, they've been very open and say, okay, how can we help you? You tell us what you need, or like us to be involved in, and we'll, we'll help you. So, like I said, everybody's been real cooperative. They've been supportive. They want to be involved. And right now, we have all the activities planned for the event. We don't have them scheduled out yet, but we have a whole list of activities for the kids to do that day. So, that, and then we also have some exhibitors. We're going to have some people doing flint napping. Um, one of the New York Anthropological Society members, was um, in the military. He's retired now, but he's an avocational archaeologist and he's developed this AIDS Indians exhibit. That was one of the tribes that lived here with during the Spanish period. Mm-hmm. And he has replicated artifacts. He has original artifacts. He'll get the kids out there with we call Nerf spears and atlatl addle I'm throwing it. Um, we got uh, another member of our group who's in the Indian River, Indian River Anthropological Society who's in the native plants. So you going to have native plants out there that the kids can try. Um, you know, we've got um, folks, you know, going to be displaying fossils, you know, the paleontologists. We've got flint knappers. uh, We've got one activity where the kids are going to make a fossil. Uh, we have a Native American exhibit. We have, um, you, know, you know, biofacts. You know, very, you know, you sit there and try to identify different things and what they were used for. Um, we're going to have people dressed up in purity costumes um you know from from the um the the people that settled the land and I and mean, we are even going to do stuff like where kids are going to excavate a cookie where they take the chocolate chips out of the cookie oh really yeah you know, and make pottery and then we have a simulated archae- underwater archaeology which is filled with um with styrofoam with with styrofoam peanuts where they 're going to go down there and find slot um, artifacts under the quote, under the ocean um they're going to be able to draw maps, make masks, Um, so we're trying to bring in as much, and we're trying to bring in some Native Americans as well uh, from the Seminole Tribe of Florida. They're interested in helping us, so uh, we're going to have a little bit of everything that's related to anthropology, archaeology.
2: And paleontology as well, right? And paleontology. So will the kids be actually working in squares, or will they have uh, folks showing them the basics of digging, or like you said, I mean... You have to run this, this uh, very sort of easy, unpressured situation, um, having fun and, and yet uh, recovering some information because I, they'll be finding stuff. And how will that work? You have to have, obviously, some professionals who are skilled uh, in working with, the, with this community of, of, of kids.
3: Right. We have a mix of volunteers. Um, for stuff like the BioFacts, we have people that are environmental folks to uh, our ecology folks that are going to work with the kids. We're going to have archaeologists and paleontologists um, stationed at these um, sandboxes where they dig. For example, when you go on the History Trail, that's the outdoor exhibit at, um, at the sand site there. The first thing you come to is the Pleistocene exhibit. And we have pictures on Facebook of, of the venue and all the different um, things that are out there right now. But it has a cutout of a mastodon, and as soon as you walk in there, there's a life-size cutout of a giant ground sloth and a glyphodon. And right there are these two pits, um, large pits, where we have replicated fossil um, mastodon remains in the bottom. So that will be filled with sand and, so, and have some, other art- some fossils mixed in there, and they'll actually dig down, and they're going to have some archaeologists and paleontologists there who are volunteers who are going to help them and work with them. And one of the other things I'm trying to do is, um, you know, a lot of these children with autism, they don't have many friends or or interact too many with their peers. So I'm going to have a buddy program where every kid is going to have an atypical, you know, a typical child, a child that's not on the spectrum be their buddy to talk to them and, and and somebody they can relate to about their, you know, their same age, uh, you know, high school age, actually. And so, they're going to have people work with them. Then, with the artifact sandbox, the same thing. They're going to dig down there and find artifacts. Okay, what is this? Well, you know, this is what it is. And explain to them what they're finding and how they're finding it. And what does it mean with all these different artifacts? What, what do we know from, you know, in the sand pit? Yeah. You know, and also, they're going to learn to make pottery like the Native Americans did. Well, this is how you make a pot.
2: What is the age range of the kids?
3: Well, we're doing it from um, um, seven, to, um, to 7 to 8, basically 17, 18 years old, because, you know, like my daughter's 15, but mentally she's 2 to 3. So there's right. a wide range of children on the spectrum. So what we're doing is we're trying to have as, as many different events. So someone uh, who's high on the Asperger, high-level Asperger's, is not bored. And at the same time, someone who's the low end will still uh of the autism spectrum will still be interested in doing some of these things. And so we're we trying will... so yeah,
2: to Uh. Uh-huh. Go ahead, keep going, yeah.
3: Okay, so we're um so we're trying to plan activities that'll have something for everyone. You know, every you know, all these kids are probably gonna like wanna throw a nerf spear at a target. You know they're probably going to want to uh, handle artifacts and fossils, pick them up and look at them. You know, um, you know, and, and do some digging and finding stuff. You know, kids like to find stuff, so you know these sandboxes are going to be built to facilitate that. So there's going to be a little bit of everything to uh, keep keep their interest.
2: And we will be back with our final segment on this very fascinating topic on archaeologists for autism. After these messages we'll be right back.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com
4: Adoption changes a family forever, for the adopters as well as the adoptees. There are many adjustments that need to be made, from lifestyle to financial and the personal rewards are unlimited. Listen every week for Your Adoption Coach with Kelly Ellison. We will examine in detail such topics as international and domestic adoption. We will talk with adoption professionals and hear stories about real families adopting. If you've been thinking about adoption or recently began the process, you'll want to tune in to be inspired every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety.
0: There is a species that remains undiscovered by modern science. This species is known by many names, but most commonly known as Bigfoot. Join Todd Standing and Dr. Jeff Meldrum for Bigfoot North, a program that sets out to uncover the species that has eluded modern science, but that does truly exist. Expert and celebrity guests will be on hand to discuss both the scientific evidence and conclusive fact of the species on this planet. Bigfoot North airs live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
2: Tom Penders is a very unique individual, and we have been spending the past hour discussing an organization that he is spearheading called Archaeologists for Autism, and it is probably the very first interfacing, if you will, between archaeology and autism, and in this hour that has basically flown by, Tom has explained in great detail how his program is working, and this very initial phase of the program will be taking place in November. And I'd like Tom to tell us specifically what members of the archaeological community and the greater public can do to make this project take off and what his vision is specifically for this initial phase of the uh, project, which is that special day, and where he sees it going forward. Uh, Tom, uh, why don't you chime in here and tell us about what, what people can do?
3: Wow. Um, Well, first of all, this is a free event for the children that are on the spectrum, their siblings and parents. No one is being paid. Uh, We're doing everything with volunteers and donations. And the big thing we need, obviously, is is money because this will help pay for the food. Um, We also want to have, like, bounce houses out there um, and and ball pits and stuff. So, So if the kids on the spectrum, you know, start getting stressed out from um, being over, sensory overload that they can go to a bounce house or, or, you know, ball pit or something just hang out. Uh, so we need sponsors. Uh, monetary, um, monetary donations will really help us um, big time. And anything that extra left over is actually going to be left in the bank for next year when we do this again. And, but right now with this first year is, you know, we really don't know what our, you know, we're still working on the budget and trying to figure things out. So, Yeah, like I said, money is a big thing. Also, we need items for a raffle. One of the things we're planning on doing that day, out at um, the site, is have a raffle, which will help us raise money. Plus, you know, people will be able to uh, you know win something out there by buying tickets. Uh, We need exhibitors. Um, We need items to give to the children. One of my um, visions was that every child that participates gets a goodie bag. And in the goodie bag, you know, there's archaeology related stuff. And I know some of the CRM firms out there. You know, you have promotion items that you give out to potential clients. You have some of those like stress balls, the squeeze things. Um, sure, I of course, from, yeah. Yeah, my daughter's class. Um, I had a bunch of them that I got from the Air Force and that uh, where I worked, and brought them in the school in the class one day, and the kids just loved them, and the teachers thanked me for it. But I'm looking for like posters bookmarks, booklets, is there any kind of archaeology coloring books out there? I don't know of anything. Uh, Anything archaeology, paleontology or history related for the goodie bags. And again, what we don't use this year, we'll use next year. And also, I know this is going to sound kind of strange, but if you have any orphan collections of artifacts or fossils that there's no provenance for and they're just in a box and really there's nothing you can do with them, um, please send them Um, Because we'll use them in the sandboxes where the kids are going to are going to excavate these items. So that'll be great for the teaching part of of the class as well. Um, I mean, really, you know, this is our first year. We're we're learning as we're going along, and the big thing is we want to make this a success. And our goal is to have happy children and happy families and make this a special day for these autistic kids and their families. I mean, that's what this is all about, and have, let them have fun and do archaeology at the same time.
2: Now, all of this is taking place in Florida, obviously, but if people from other states want to get involved, uh, is there a website that they can go to? Are there uh, contacts that, that you can offer? Um, do you have a blog?
3: Well, we're on Twitter. Um, At ARC for Autism, uh, A-R-C-H-F-O-R Autism. We have an email address, um, ARC for Autism, A-R-C-H-F-O-R Autism, at yahoo.com. We have a Facebook page. We have a webpage. The webpage is archaeologistforautism.org or archaeologistforautism.com. Our phone numbers are area code 321. 567-4335, Five six seven four three three five, or Erica, 321 Are
2: there contacts that people can have or generate with the um, autism organizations as well? Have they been informed of what's going on, and have they yes, been part of this effort?
3: Yes, the Scott Center for Autism is one of our primary partners along with the Florida Public Archaeology Network. We would not be doing this without the Scott Center. And that's one of the things was when I started this, I'm no expert on autism. You know, I'm still learning about autism, you know, with my daughter over the, you know, the past, since she was diagnosed with it, you know, 10 years ago. So this is a learning experience for me. So when I started this, I flat out said that this would not be able to be done without the Scott Center for Autism because I want to make sure You know, we don't upset kids or do something that's good, you know, with one of these activities or which activities will or will not work. So uh, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today if it wasn't for them.
2: And they're promoting the message as well, I assume.
3: Yes, they're major partners. They're helping me with a lot of the things that I don't think about. You know, they're helping me with finding sponsors. They're helping me with public, you know, um, public outreach. Um, they looked over every activity we have planned and made their suggestions on what we should and should not do. They said some of the activities we shouldn't do. When you do these um, different activities, this is what you should do. They're also going to provide training to all the volunteers on, you know, the basics like how do you talk to a child that's on the autistic spectrum disorder, what to do if a child has a meltdown, you know, what to do um, if the kid gets sensory overload. You know, um, like, how do you spot the signs so or that sort of thing and how to communicate and how to deal with it? Because, yeah, this is a unique situation for some of these volunteers. Some of these volunteers have never been around an autistic child in their life. So the Scott Center is providing training.
2: And so they're, uh, they're all, all these organizations are cooperating as well. Uh, and do you have the archaeological community involved as well?
3: Yes, like, like I mentioned, the Florida Public Archaeology Network. If it wasn't for them, um, uh, again, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Um, as soon as I told them about this concept and showed them the proposal, the um, Sarah Miller at the Northeastern uh, Regional Office and Kevin Gadusko, they were right on board. I mean, they actually, from the beginning, they from day one when I contacted them, Uh, I was mentioning about a logo. They had their art people make a logo. The logo that we're using is from from the Florida Public Archaeology Network people. So, you know, when we do this event, they're going to have personnel from all their regional offices in Florida come and help us with the event. So they've been a big help. The uh, Society for American Archaeology, they sent us um, a box of material and i know they're going to send us another box of material you know for handouts for the kids and in the my research program the first day i had a twitter account i started it they contacted me and was interested in helping
2: and i want to thank tom penders for his appearance on our program um, social relevance is one of the items that we are stressing in our show and it's becoming increasingly more important um, in transmitting the message of archaeology and looking at archaeology in a very tangible and practical way uh, and and looking at it as an, an element for integrating our discipline into the broader community. Tom, thanks so much for being part of the program, and it was a pleasure having you.
3: Well, I greatly appreciate you um, having me on here, and I, I can't thank you enough for helping me get the word out.
2: Very good. Thanks so much, and we will be back again next week with another episode. In the meantime, stay well and good evening.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow.